The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hello. Hello, everyone. Welcome. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and welcome to The Visual Workplace, our weekly internet radio show where we talk about letting the workplace speak. We talk about embedding our intelligence, our operational intelligence, into the living landscape of work. And when we do so, the workplace speaks back to us. When we do so, we can forge a relationship between what is supposed to happen and what does happen by design because we have made it so. Because we have created visual devices that hold the components, the elements of that intelligence, the elements of that performance in precise visual devices or in systems of visual devices that we call either visual systems or visual mini-systems, small systems that you would find in some corner or for some particular uh, function. So visuality is a language, as you've heard me say many, many times. It is the language of our performance made actual, made tangible, embedded through devices. It's our intelligence, the components of it. And as we get smarter, our visual devices get smarter. But what also happens as we get smarter is we begin to see wider and wider opportunities for applying visuality. It isn't just wider, but it's deeper. We begin to see the enemy in all of its thousands and perverse forms. The enemy is motion, moving without working. The enemy is struggle. The enemy is complexity. We begin to see that and we begin to find more applications of visuality. And slowly, because I'm learning how to do this and because I am learning how to answer my need to know and my need to share, I am beginning to build a very robust workplace which is ready for the next shift or the next person as I move on. Either I'm promoted, I move to another department, or maybe I move to another company. But I leave this legacy behind me. And it's a wonderful and rich legacy. Whether or not I'm an operator or I'm a CEO. Currently, I think you've heard me say a number of times that over the last seven or eight months, I've been working rather intensively on visual leadership, the constructs of visual leadership, and helping CEOs, supervisors, improvement specialists, improvement managers, and executives begin to organize their work and use visuality to both focus it and also to drive it. I'll do a series of shows on that when we finish with the visual wear. We're moving through each of the doorways. 
right now we're in doorway number one, the first doorway, which is owned by operators and value-add associates, and we're looking at the visual where, what you might call 5S, what I call 5S on steroids, and we're learning about how to make that robust, compelling, complete, useful, so that it actually does not just take the struggle out, but actually adds to the bottom line because of its precision and its completeness. And we're on addresses, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. I want to, uh, just for a moment, make just a couple of announcements, and then we'll go right into addresses. I have some, um, I think, really uh, core comments about addresses. This show is called Addresses Standardizing Too Soon, and I want to make those, and uh, then we'll go on and hear a number of more examples of very innovative addresses or concepts and principles that you should have in mind about addresses. My few announcements are that I am going to the University of Buckingham for the Lean Conference July 10th and 11th. That's just in a couple of weeks. That's in the in England. One of my favorite places on the planet, as some of you may have heard, I um, imagine myself uh, living there quite happily and enjoying the green and enjoying the uh, work that can be done on that island on that, in that kingdom called England and the British Isles, the United Kingdom. And uh, I'm sharing the podium with David Mann. David Mann is going to be talking about his lean culture. I'm sure you've read, read his book, Creating a Lean Culture, and I'll be talking about visual leadership. That is sold out, I'm happy to say, but I'm expecting to go back in September or, or October. And in fact, if any of you are interested in my conducting that workshop or any of our other nine core workshops uh, in your country, in your city, in your company, just let us know. This is what I do when I travel and I love it. Uh, and also we'll be doing an event in Regina in Canada, <clears throat> which will include visual leadership and a seminar and site tour. Please look at our website for an announcement on that. Probably it will go up in about a month. And then there are other there are other things cooking. So I think those are the announcements for for right now. Let's move into the content of today's um, discussion. So you know we've been doing addresses since May with a little time off for my travels, and then we had Norman Bodek visit us one day. We have some other great guests coming as well. Carl Wadenstein from Vibeco will be interviewing soon, and then also a um, criminal. Um, a forensic, um, uh, a forensic information person that I met in the UK will be inviting him. We're just working out the details now. So we've got some interesting guests coming. But for the last five or six weeks, pretty much as a span, we've been talking about the visual where we spent a lot of time on borders, the first element, the first indispensable element of embedding the answer to the where question. And now we're on addresses, which is the second powerful element of the visual wear. And you've heard me say, borders without dresses, with addre- without addresses are borders that are incomplete, that we even when we color code our borders, we need to have precise, accurate, and complete addresses in order to maximize the utilization of the borders. So we talked about that. We talked about the rules. We talked about being able to see them at a distance and what a good background crayon yellow is with bold black letters and how the worst background is. You know this by heart by now. 
black on white, it blurs to gray very easily. That's just the way the human eye functions. We talked about the rules that had to do with addresses and creating meaning out of meaningless addresses through something called handles or equivalents. We're using photographs. We're using popular names and not just that long part number, for example, if you live in an assembly environment. So, And we talked about, the last time we met, a number of innovative addresses, and we're going to add a few more. But for this show, the, the first thing that I want to talk to you about is that addresses, like all visual devices, need room to grow, to be cultivated. And in our tendency as managers and also control freaks to standardize right away, we often standardize too soon, and when we do, we create death by sameness. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, the difference between rich, vibrant, relevant addresses and the danger of robbing the company and its employees of the benefit of that and also the joy of making it, of creating it, of finding it by attempting to standardize too soon. One of the hallmarks of a spirited, engaged workforce and a genuinely effective visual conversion is the weird factor. The weird factor or local color or never been seen, a device that has never been seen on the planet before. You do not want to simply put the name of a thing on a label and stick the label in place and call it an address. You can do it, and that's basically what most people who have learned about 5S or the visual wear through the lean model, it's what they do. And it's not just disappointing. It's not just not functioning well, but it also does not give us an opportunity to find out what kind of address is really needed here. You may remember last time and the time before last when we were talking about addresses, I drew the distinction between driver license level addresses, which was very precise, gave everything, my name, my address, the color of my eyes, and what I want you to do with my vital organs should I get into a fatal accident. That level of address, very specific, so I can make a value-add decision on the spot, versus generic addresses. One, two, three, four, five, generic in that way, A, B, C. You still need the address, but because that which is in the address, in the border, is fluid, changes often, you can't really name it. You can just give it a a temporary position, one, two, three, four, five. And either at the end of this show or in our next and final show on addresses, which will be next week, I will um, describe to you a wonderful application of exactly that, generic addresses, which was precisely the correct choice. So as we begin to understand addresses, not just as our partners, but as our very capable, expressive partners in our work, we require more of them. We require them to not just name the thing, but to give us the secondary information that will really make the address meaningful and useful in terms of streamlining the process, creating greater accuracy, creating greater retrievability, we make it function. So if your addresses look suspiciously similar, if they seem to occur on the same level of mind, which is the same level of 
imagination, you can pretty much say there's something wrong. Something's not right about our dresses. They all look alike. And you will not confuse look alike with, ah, oh, they're all uniform, they're standardized, therefore we have a standard practice, therefore we have a best practice. Because that is a formula that doesn't work. That is not a sequence that exists. If your addresses are suspiciously similar, if you do not see a telling differentiation between your addresses, something is not right. And that can either be that the good enough bar is set too low. Oh, you know, this is good enough. It's good enough. It's just an address. Or not enough time or no time has been set aside for the improvement activity or coming up with addresses. Or you've been moving too quickly to standardize. You have an address in place and you say, okay, let's move on to the next thing or maybe the next shelving or the next department and let's address. But in fact, in order to get these excellent addresses, you cannot short circuit that process. You have to let people find the telling difference. And this can happen as easily for a supervisor who is trying to create differentiation on his or her desk, which is one of her many, many value fields, or for an operator or material handler, or in the huge warehouses where you have the components of all of your good ready to be converted. So I want you to take addresses very seriously. And when we get to the, uh, we're going to be going into a break in just a moment, I want to, I want to visit that, pl- uh, that point a bit more about the suspiciously similar addresses and, and really unnest this, um, <clears throat> may I with respect say confusion about the difference between standardization, standard, standard work, and the good. So we're going into a break now. Please come back. We have much more to talk about. And, of course, you can call in. This is a live show today. Please feel free to call in or send an email quick, quick, quick to radio at visualworkplace.com. We would be very happy to hear from you. And, boy, I would love a discussion about this. I would love a discussion about your triumphs and your struggles around addresses. It's the, it is a small, small component of the visual workplace. But when it's in place, when you have great addresses in place, it feels like you're 90% there. It feels like, you know, you are a fully functioning visual workplace because the addresses are functioning for you on such a complete level. So I'll see you in a minute, okay? When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. 
Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi. Hi, it's Gwendolyn. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Visual Workplace. We're in the second part of our show. And today we're talking about Visual Workplace the visual wear, and about addresses, the second element of the visual wear, borders, addresses, and if possible, ID labels. And on addresses, we're talking about standardizing too soon. And that means using good enough to be the uh, functional best for your addresses. So I want to talk to you about standards, standardization, where they all fit in. So we know that the visual workplace is about, it is conceived in order to make sure that what is supposed to happen does happen. And to do that, many of us focus on operational standards. It's the principled, standards are the principal domain of engineers and supervisors because they are principally accountable for the precise performance of work through others. So engineers participate in constructing complete, timely, and accurate standards and supervisors in communicating them and overseeing their execution. We have technical standards, which is your product and process specifications, and we have procedural standards, which are your work methods, or you may call them SOPs. Supervisors, managers, and engineers completely own that outcome. And if they want to go a step further, they can make them... make those standards visual, and it will help in their understanding, in their execution. So when we talk about standards, we should know, are we talking about standard operating procedures? Because if we are, there's no, absolutely no discussion about how important it is to standardize those so you have reliable, repeatable work. If you want to go further down that, you do something called standard work which is one of the five or six core elements of a lean conversion, standard work. And that means taking your procedures and refining them even further. When we do this work, we do it in three cuts. It's called first cut standard work, where you take the basic standard and you get some repeatability, you squeeze some of the time out, and you get a basic agreement about what the big chunks are. And then after you work that for a while, you move to second cut standard work where you really build in more precision. You let that run for a while. And then you work on third cut standard work. And that third cut standard work is where you really squeeze out the time and you begin to do the dance of work. 
you begin to really be able to move across time with precision, by that time you can introduce time as a lever or tack time, T-A-K-T. Tack time becomes your, your measure or your drumbeat, as you've often heard. So that's very good. So we have now two words in our standardizing uh, nomenclature. The first is standard operating procedures, which is the repeatable procedure that everyone learns to do in order to execute work in a uniform way. The second is standard work, where you bring greater precision, and you're really... One of the other big differences with standard work is that you're really uh, um, segmenting the work over time and space. You're thinking about the physicality of the workplace and you're thinking about the component of time that each of those physical steps require. So we have standard, standard operating procedure, standard work. Standardization is something else again. It is different than standard operating procedures and standard work. Standardization means you make it uniform. And that is usually where the confusion is. When people people come to understand standard work and standard operating procedures, they understand that it's very, very valuable. And so they think, you know what we're doing is we're standardizing. Well, in a manner of speaking, you may be making things uniform, but the intent is so robust and so specific that there are other words that are required than making it uniform, making it executable, making it internally function, internally robust, making it match the time and the place. These are all different. But because we value standard work and standard operating procedures, we make the mistake of saying, well, let's standardize everything. You know, that worked, wow, that worked out well. Let's just standardize everything because standards are the bedrock of manufacturing. But standards are the bedrock of manufacturing means that standard operating procedures are and standard work is, not standardization. We run into a conflict when we try to standardize that which is expressive before it has reached, it has been cultivated on a level that is sufficiently robust. So we try to standardize a low level of 5S, a line on the floor and a label on a shelf, instead of asking ourselves, what is the full extent to which a so-called address can contribute to the struggle that we are meeting in the workplace, to the time that we are spending getting mixed up, reaching for something that is the wrong thing, checking and double-checking. What is the contribution that addresses can make? Let me explore that and let me exhaust the possibilities before I standardize, before I make it uniform, because if I try to standardize my addresses too soon, they will lose their strength. They will lose their specificity. Or in the case that I was talking about before the break, you may need a generic standard and you may be using too many words. You may be trying to make a differentiation that simply isn't there and therefore, instead of intentionally using a generic standard, you go to the lowest common denominator and you have something like parts. 
because you can't get the differentiation between parts. But that doesn't help you crack the code on that address. That doesn't help you see because so much whip moves through this testing area. I can't just call them parts. I need this address to be functioning for me on another level. And I'm going to give you the outline of what this this system is that was so amazing. So this is a test area at Denison Hydraulics. It's now called Parker Denison, Marysville, Ohio, right down the street from Ohio, from uh, Honda. And in this address system, the men and women who worked in this test area, and some of them, I think the least of them, had worked there for 37 years. So these, And there was a union shop. These are very, very sturdy Americans from Ohio who don't take any nonsense from anyone and especially not a little red-headed girl who tries to talk, talk rubbish about addresses. But they were listening to how addresses could help, and they were struggling in this way. There were so many pallets of whip that came through the area that they spent, because it was a testing area, and these were um, precision pumps and components to be tested, they spent a lot of time looking for things, looking for the trailer, traveler, looking for that little white piece of paper that explained what was on the pallet. A lot of time. Tremendous congestion of whip. So they said, okay, let's start the methodology, and they laid down borders. As soon as they, and they, they figured out where they should go, smart placement. As soon as they laid down the borders, they knew they were in trouble because they had borders, and they knew borders always need an address in one form or another, and color coding doesn't cut it as an address. And they said, what do we do about borders? We can't. I'm sorry, what do we do about addresses? We don't have any specificity. This is just test whip that needs to be tested, whip that needs to be tested, and whip that needs to be tested. But they thought. They cracked the code. And part of their determination was they knew that they were smarter than I was. And they knew that I didn't have an answer. But what they came up with was so elegant this happened 15 years ago that to this day, every time I talk about addresses in public, I always show this example because it was dazzling. So what they decided to do was to make each of the bins or the squares on the floor have a number. One, two, three, four, five, 25, 26, 27. They had a lot. This was not a lean plant. They had a lot of whip and they had a good market. A lot of stuff passed through the testing area every day. They laid it out on the floor. They did have room for that. And they said, but wait a minute, we still don't have the match. We can put the pallet there, but we don't know what's in number one or number five or number 17 without going over to look. The address is not functioning for us. What to do, what to do. And they thought these magnificent men and women, they thought and they said, okay, let's try this. Let's put up a board. They had learned about visual displays. Let's put up a board and let's ask the forklift driver when he lays down the pallet and he knows what's on the traveler because he's delivering, he's picking up and delivering specific pallets. Let him write down the common name, the part number, and the location by number. So that all we have to do is go to this whiteboard and see the 2783s are in the bordered location named 5. And that's exactly what they did. They combined 
borders and addresses with a display. It's a whiteboard with some with a grid on it. And they named their grid columns to serve their purposes. It was a fabulous system. And not only that, but these men and women, the least of whom had been working there for 37 years in a union plant, one day when I was there, God was good and he was great because they were down on their knees laying down uh, more borders in front of their display board. These union people who knew you don't do this job, somebody else does the job, but they were on their hands and knees making a red hatched border in front of their display so that nobody put stuff, put whip in front of it by mistake and would prevent them and the, and the forklift driver from reaching the board. It was fantastic. And I was there the day and I took their picture and I'm telling you it was such a thrill. So here they were working on the addresses. They were not concerned about standardizing the address. They were concerned about getting that son of a gun to work for them. How do we make this address function for us? And they didn't even stop with what I had taught them. They went beyond what I had taught them and combined it with a display because they insisted that the address function for them. And this is what you want to do. And this is the antidote, the antidote to death by sameness, which you which you, you get when you standardize too soon, when you get these cookie-cutter addresses. And this is what trainers and supervisors and coaches and operators themselves, you need to cultivate that in others and cultivate it in yourself. Does this address perform for you? Does it actually help you beyond simply saying parts or tape or bubble wrap or boxes or anything just the way we insist upon language serving us helping us to express finer and finer needs finer and finer insights a finer science of life so we insist upon the address serving our interests and serving it well and we go through iterations we may start with the way they did with one but what do we do next and next and next? And in that way, what you're doing with your addresses is that you're cultivating a relationship, a partner with the thing itself, with the address itself. And because it reflects your intelligence, you're giving your intelligence a focal point. You're giving them a conundrum. You're giving your intelligence a puzzle to solve. And your intelligence, great piece of art, great computer that it is, will rise and say, you know what, I'm interested. I can help you with this. You got my attention. You create this partnership with yourself and therefore with your work. And that's what we want. We don't want to lose the opportunity of addresses to do something that is predictable and cookie cutter. We want to use it as an opportunity to cultivate our intelligence and to cultivate our partnership with the work itself. Because otherwise, why go to work? It's, I mean, why? If it doesn't connect us more deeply with the things in our life, isn't that part of what visuality does? It says we live in a physical world, we live in a tangible world, and we can bring to our intelligence to all parts of it. And in fact, that is our requirement in a visual workplace to let the workplace speak. 
and it will only speak if we give it a voice. So that's what I mean, and that's what this show is about, and we're deeply into it now. If your addresses look suspiciously similar, they are probably occurring on the same level of mind. So we'll pick this up after the break. And I got a few more things to say about this, and then we'll go into some innovative addresses that I hope will make your socks roll up and then roll down again. Talk to you in a minute. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, it's Gwendolyn. Hi. I'm just making a little note for myself that I want to want to make sure to talk about this um, in this next section. So, so just to put the icing on the cake about standardization, about standard operating procedures, and about standard work. Standard work focuses on segmenting the work content into sequential elements or steps, refining that, refining it, refining it, so that you can ass- assess exact time the time required to execute those steps. And when you do that, you have already inserted pull. You've already created a day, a time-based performance because of the way that you work with those elements. When we add time, we add pull. Standardization is an effort that seeks to make, which is different, standardization is an effort to make everything uniform in the belief and the hope that that will also make everything known and predictable and what is supposed to happen will happen. But that's not true because there's a mistaken belief that causes us to then reduce everything to a common denominator that's far too low. When we standardize our visual devices, we get the exact opposite of predictability. We get, well, perhaps not the opposite, but it's the opposite of smart. We get dull, boring, and to that extent, non-functioning. But if you want to bring standards to visuality, let's consider the following. 
which are progressive and will not destroy the very dynamic that visuality does better than any other improvement methodology I've come across in my last now almost 31 years to ignite the inventiveness of the workforce. That's what visuality does. It it ignites the inventiveness of the workforce because it is my language. Because whoever you are, you are saying, this is my language. This is my way of embedding my performance into the living landscape of work. So here are some standards that are related to to visuality. Every address on a shelf shall have an arrow showing to which shelf that address applies. There will be a border and an address, and if possible, an ID label for everything that casts a shadow. All addresses will be vis- shall be visible at two feet for pedestrians and four feet for forklift operators. Every department shall designate the top of the department as well as the top of the stream and the end of the department and the closure of the stream. So we know where is the top of the department. Every Office cubby will have a 3D tab announcing the name and also perhaps even announcing whether the person is there or not. All borders, another visual standard, standard for visuality. All borders, color-coded or otherwise, or otherwise, shall have an address. Do you see the difference? Those are visual standards without standardizing the expression of visuality. So that's what that's about. So let's let's see some <clears throat> some specific um, examples of some innovative addresses. I want to talk to you. I promised this last week. This is uh, I'm going to describe to you a process sequencing address. Process sequencing address. I never realized how much an innovative address can silently reliably and precisely revolve proce- sorry reveal process sequence until i saw a series of addresses in 1994 at Curtis screw up in rochester new york they make screws there so a lot a lot of tiny tiny parts parts that need to be brazed heat treated brazed deburred blah 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 so what i saw against a wall after we had started visuality just blew my mind. And what I saw was this. There were four addresses that had two levels each. The top level address for all four address plaques was identical. And it said M8219. said that on all four plaques. Big, bold letters and numbers. M8219. But underneath each one in sequence, starting from the far left and moving to the right, was something else. And what was there were the stages of production. Brilliant. So the first one said M8219, and the second line said after wash, count, waiting for tumble. That was the first one. The second one said M8219, after tumble waiting for heat treat. The third one said the third part of the procedure and the fourth one said the third part the fourth part of the process. This made so much sense. Because in this case it was often very difficult to see the difference between parts at its at their various stages. 
by sight alone. And that was exactly the point, that the operators were not able to reliably tell a difference merely by looking at the M8219 parts. So they had, they made the address help them. Parts that had been through heat treat looked identical to those practically, identical to those that had not. So lots of mix-ups resulted, lots of scrap, and the solution was a robust address system, an address system that made improved performance and as an outcome. It made sure that you were not going to make a mistake. It's an innovative, highly innovative address to a situation that if we take as a, without thinking about it, we will say, how can an address help us since we can't see the difference in this process, sequence of processes of operations? Do you see? M8219, after wash and count, waiting for tumble. M8219, after tumble, waiting for heat treat. Fantastic. Highly, highly innovative. So instead of standardizing on a specific outcome like requiring a specific type of address, this company was better served because it required that the address function. Not, it did not specify how it should function, but that it should function. I mean, even something as simple as requiring as a visual standard that every department will have an in and an out, an address that indicates the in part and addresses the out part, that's a very good standard. But how it's going to be expressed, you should in fact cultivate locally. Let the experimentation begin. There are dozens of ways of creating a set of in and out addresses. So managers don't seek to control that. Seek to make sure that each department has a highly visual location for newly delivered goods and materials and a separate highly visual location for goods and materials that are ready for removal or pickup. See, that's smart. You require the outcome, but now it's not how it's going to be expressed. And when you do this, people will, will create different ways of utilizing the physical workplace. Some will use the floor. Some will use the wall. Some will use a bench. Some will use tape. Some will use standing signs. And either those standing signs, for example, are exactly right for that department, or they'll see someone else do it another way in a different department and say, oh, I want one like that. That one makes more sense. But you keep the doorway of thinking very, very open. Unregrettably, you know, I was so, regrettably, I'll finish that sentence, 5S has come in much lower than it could have, should have, would have. It came in because, first of all, it came in with the thinking that the, the Japanese actually were creative about their 5S. 5S was an unexpressed part of the, the Toyota production system. It was done with such regularity and such um, normalcy because there were so many other components of the Japanese culture that made that just one aspect of the cultural improvement environment. But it, when it came to the United States, 
Unfortunately, what happened is we took what was lowest common denominator in Japan because more was not needed because of the other components of its improvement framework as at the high point here. And so you have these terribly dreary 5S rollouts, not yours, but in some other companies that are boring, dull, and that don't function. So we've never learned to do 5S that really makes our socks roll up and down. We've never made the form serve us in such a way that it's been a pleasure to work in partnership with the um, template called 5S. And we see this everywhere. And many, many people are drawn to my work because I saw 5S as an opportunity to get visual on the operator level. That's my book, Work That Makes Sense, Operator-Led Visuality. But not stopping on the 5S level, but doing that and doing it very, very well. So you need to ask more of your addresses because your addresses can give more, but they won't give more unless you require it to. And as managers and trainers, one of the things that I say to people is, (laughs) this is after I have a relationship with them, I I come through and I say, Marianne, you know what? You know what I feel about your addresses? They put me to sleep. They, I, I'm, I don't want to say I'm bored because that would be wrong, uh, um, um, rude, Marianne, but I'm something very close to falling asleep right now. Can you get more dimensions of meaning in your addresses? I see two or three candidates. And I can see this because I did my homework. Remember, we talked about that about a month ago. I did my homework, and I know. I can see some of your addresses being much more expressive, exciting. You know, I'm going to be back on Thursday. Can you do something new for me? I think you have like a half an hour left of your improvement time. Can you do something dazzling? Because you did something dazzling over there with your 3D tabs and your border combination. That's fantastic. That was Melody Sparrow from Harris Corp. Can you do that, please? And I just asked personally. You have this relationship with people. You don't, conf- you don't make them do it in teams, but you require greatness from them. You know, I want, I want to see something great. And in fact, I want to see something that has never been seen on the planet before. I don't know what that is, but I know you're capable of giving it to me, Marianne. You use your personal stock on that. You give a big smile, and when they do it, you make a big deal of it. In fact, when anybody does anything, you make a big deal of it. But don't be afraid to say, I, I, I want you to go further because I know there's further in there. You need to discover it. All right. I'm going to say a few more things about addresses when you come back in the last segment of our show. Please come back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. 
Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, hi, it's Gwendolyn. This is the final segment of our show at the Visual Workplace today, and I'm on addresses. And yes, I know I'm ranting a bit, but I'm going to continue. So remember we talked about identifying in and out and allowing people to experiment with that, to experiment with where the in is in the department and where the out is, whether they're using the floor or the wall or the bench. Because once that gets clear on the floor or the wall, in and out, where where do things go when they come in, where are they placed when they're ready to go out of the department, you widen the scope. It becomes so interesting. You apply the same in and out requirement to the benches. And that goes a long way towards ending senseless mix-ups from picking up material that is not yet ready. The department next door may go about that same thing in a completely other way and the department next to that yet another way. So you let each area go through a period of trial and error as it discovers what works for it. And at some at some point, your company will want to adopt more or less a uniform format, so to speak, standardize the practice, but that comes later. It comes after people who use those locations many times a day have a chance to explore the possibilities and experiment with it. Experiment with the location, the look, the feel, the form, fit, function. That's how inventive visual solutions can transform into visual best practices. Then you're not beating on people to put this in place because it's required, it's standardized, even though it's boring. You're saying, wow, we've got such an assortment here. Over the next three weeks, let's take the best from each other and create more robust solutions. And then let's try to narrow narrow it down to, say, three across the company. If we have to do four, we can. But three. Right now, we have about 12 different ways. And let's start creating arrays of best practices. But there is no reason in the world why they have to be identical. As long as they function identically, they don't have to look identical. So I think I've made that point. You know, and I mentioned before about addressing the entrance. It's much the same thing. You have to name what is the top of the stream. In many, many departments, there are no actual doors or thresholds. So it's not easy to tell where an area, a department, begins. 
yet it's important to know the flow in and the flow out points, at least for the sake of material movement of WIP. So you begin that process by selecting your company's, sorry, your department's main entrance and you designate it. You give it an, an address. You know, I remember at, I was at Trailmobile in Toronto and there were no walls. They were doing these big trailers. Everything had a huge footprint. But the site manager required the naming of the entrance to each and every area and saw so many of the unspoken questions immediately answered. It was motion of a deeply hidden form, and it was reduced. And people said, ah. So, you know, in one case, it was on the floor. This was the rear headers department because an overhead sign was 100 feet away. It was huge, huge building. Now, I want to tell you that one of the challenges that I've never seen handled in a particularly good way is those large floor um, uh, production floors and there are there's signage that's hung high in the heavens in a very large space that is supposed to announce the different kinds of the different departments. I can't see the differentiation between the departments and I really many times can't even see it except at a far, far distance because it is so high up. That's something else that I'm waiting for somebody to crack the code on. In fact, I think I offered to give out a book if people come up with other approaches to those massive um, airborne signage, those darn signs, those look-alike, feel-alike corporate signs. And that brings me to another point. You really have to make a decision early on. Do you want to have homemade addresses or commercial addresses? I realize that departmental addresses for large companies are almost always made by an outside contractor, but I still favor a homemade address when the volume is not a factor. In other words, you don't need so many of them. I think it, it you can come up with great addresses that are innovative and that are precise and that are made locally. It's not that hard, and people have tremendous artistic ability. I remember the museum quality addresses that the folks at Fleet Engineers in Michigan created when they went visual. They both developed, awakened a greater sense of ownership and accountability by asking people, departments, to design their own departmental um, addresses, naming the department. But they also reduced mountains of waste that were choking the company at the same time. I remember Jeff Hamm and Gary White when they created the FB27 sign it, it, uh, um, address. It was fantastic. Or um, Robert Oldecker when he created in the cutoff department Man Against Machine. It was fantastic. It was really, you know, this wonderful cartoon Dell comic book art. And in fact, uh, regrettably, he left the company shortly thereafter because people were so excited about his art that they said, you ought to get a different job, and he did. <laughs> but that's okay, you know. The operators took complete ownership. They were ignited. And why not? It's a pleasure, museum-quality area addresses. And and when we're handling material, I don't think I'm going to get through this lot, but I want to go through five or six ways of handling that situation for material handling. Of addressing, of, of how to create addresses for material handling. There are five or six pretty neat ways and some exceptional ways that have come up. 
warehouse addresses, and on and on. So we're getting to the bottom of, of today's show, and I hope you got the message. Don't throw away the opportunity of addresses just because maybe in your young life you've been saddled with cookie-cutter addresses and you figure that's all the good you're ever going to get out of them. Look again and say, you know what? Addresses are made to do more and I can help them. They want to help me and they also want to have an opportunity to express themselves, to be beautiful, to make a contribution, to be robust, and I can help them. Because I'm going to make the addresses that I create in my area or the operators who create addresses in my area go the limit, go the distance and create something that is extraordinary, that is an extension of their own extraordinary selves. That's my job. My job, says Miss or Mr. Supervisor, is to help the people I work with become heroes. And part of that in becoming a hero is not just performing exquisitely, but also creating a work environment that expresses themselves, that really is a representation of themselves, that is, from that point of view, an art form, even while it is also a science, the science of addresses. So we'll have one more show on addresses, and then um, I, oh, I wanted to tell you, Martin Hinckley is going to come and do two shows on mistake-proofing. Time after next, while I'm in England in a couple of weeks. And then when we come back, I think I'll start a series on visual leadership. I have to think about that, but I'm pretty sure I will. I've had a wonderful time with you today. I can feel your listening ear and your listening heart, and I am so glad you're there. And this is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I'm signing off. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.